let's talk about sex. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of Sexy Marriage Radio. I'm Dr. Corey Allen, where our goal is to have conversations straight into your bedroom so that you have the best sex possible in your marriage. If you want to give some feedback or information or questions to this show, feel free to send us an email at feedback at sexymarriageradio.com. You can also jump on iTunes if you like what you hear. Give us a review or comments. Even if you don't like what you hear, give us some comments. That helps give feedback and shape and make this show all it could be. So where we are today is I'm bringing a friend on that I have just met which is pretty amazing because I was at a conference several weeks back where I was actually able to meet Gina for the first time. And I mentioned, we've mentioned that on one of our final shows. And while I was there, I was in a a session at the conference with Shannon Etheridge and she did some information on fantasy on a book that she has called the fantasy fallacy, which was fascinating to sit in. And so immediately after the class, the course was over, I ran up to her and said, Shannon, you got to be on the show. And of course she said, absolutely. I'd be glad to. <laughs> so, You're used to women responding that way to you all I, the time. I have that effect all. No, I really don't have that effect all the time, but, but Shannon, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. It was great to meet you that day. Yeah. I mean, it's, it just seems it, it's not coincidence. Because this is, you know, the whole concept of fantasy and married life and, you know, Sexy Marriage Radio has done some episodes on this idea, but not to the depth that that you do or that, that, that you've kind of covered in your book and also in some of your other work. Because if you're not familiar with Shannon Etheridge and who she is, she has many, many books that she's written on the topic of sexuality and women and faith and I mean there's there there's a, a whole gamut of information that you can find from her and her work is exceptional and so it's it's going to be a great addition to have a couple of shows on this idea so Shannon what I miss what else what do our listeners need to know before we dive into the fantasy life um well a lot of people get me confused with Stacy Eldridge so I just <laughs> want to go on the record as saying I did not write captivating okay um and I'm not married to John Eldridge um I'm married to Greg Etheridge um <laughs> or a lot of people think that I'm married to Stephen Arterburn he is merely my writing partner he is not my husband uh, but I did the Every Woman's Battle series mm-hmm. alongside Fred Stoker and Steve Arterburn's Every Man's Battle series so that's probably if if they've ever heard of my right. name that's probably where they've heard Yeah it. that's the most well known work Right. Yeah. That one, um, it's a million copy bestselling series published in 22 different languages. So we're really grateful for the impact that that series has had worldwide. And that's a great thing. And that's a good segue into what we're talking about, because the idea of I mean, I've I've covered and read Every Man's Battle and skimmed through Every Woman's Battle because it's something that's very effective as as a resource and a tool in my practice for, for clients. But it is one of those that, okay, this is just the sexuality and the, the sexual temptations and all the different things that are out there. Well, fantasy dovetails right into that. I mean, it's, it's part of it. And it's so, where it starts. Well, there you go. So if you have this idea of women and erotica or women and fantasy, which is, I think, the idea of the fantasy fallacy, but then it goes further, than, mm-hmm. so it's not just to women. What is... I mean, when we're talking about 
the role of fantasy, what role does it play? Yeah, I want to lay the foundation here that fantasy is not all bad. I think that a lot of people want to throw out the baby with the bathwater and go, oh, well, you know, all fantasy is is wrong. And that's just to think about anything other than your spouse. And that's just wrong. And I don't agree. I think that our brains were wired to fantasize for a very good reason, actually, for many good reasons. Um, For example, fantasy can numb us to unbearable pain. I remember um, when my daughter had a car accident and she put her face through a windshield um, the the rearview mirror took her ear off, right. and as the doctor was stitching her ear back on, I said, "Aaron, let's go on a fantasy trip. Where do you want to go? Australia? How do you want to get there? Jet plane? Who do you want to take?" For thirty minutes, I just took her on this fantasy tour, and at the end, she said, "Mom, that was amazing. I I didn't even think of the pain." Mm-hmm. And I remembered that that's most likely what children do when they're like being sexually abused at a young age. Mm-hmm. They numb out, and their brains go somewhere else entirely. Um, and so it's not always a healthy thing, but sometimes it serves a really good purpose. Um, fantasy can motivate us toward an established goal. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's trying to lose weight, the best way to stay motivated is envision what it's going <laughs> to look and feel like to be at that weight where you want to be. Uh, fantasy can help you prepare for a life transition. Like right now, we're getting ready for our 21 and 18 year olds to leave the nest and just envisioning what it's going to be like to have our lives back to ourselves. Congratulations. <laughs> Yeah, kind of helps us bear the pain of, you know, wow, our lives are going to be so different without them. Um, Fantasy can warn us about a a possible future event. Mm -hmm. There have been women who've said, I suspect that a guy at work or this guy I saw on a train may have a thing for me. I'm, I'm, I'm worried that if he comes on to me, I'm just going to fall into that temptation. And, and so we kind of walk through, okay, well, let's just prepare. How are you going to respond if he does come up with a line or something? And, And so it just helps them prepare for that event. It can help us endure separation. Uh, Women whose husbands are deployed um, Mm -hmm. overseas, they say, is it okay if I fantasize about my husband? Well, heavens, yes. I would hope that you would. (laughs) Uh, You need to keep those home fires burning. And then also fantasy can comfort us as we age. Uh, There was a a man who contacted me and said, is it okay that I fantasize about what my wife and I's sex life used to be like when we were young and had energy and before erectile dysfunction was an issue and Mm -hmm. all of that? And and I just thought, yeah, that's probably where we're all going to be by the time we're in our 80s and 90s is we're going to be fantasizing about the good old days. But that's okay if it brings us comfort. And I would say that lots of people do that now, even and with the high desire, low desire issue that you get the low desire spouse that's having a little trouble getting aroused and is interested, mm-hmm. it's it's very common to go back into the good old days. You sure. Know, the, the times and, when you were just raring to go to help get you right. going today. And when we get bogged down in, you know, the double income, no kit, or sorry, when we get bogged down in the dual careers and the multiple children and all right. that kind of stuff, we may think back to that first <laughs> year of marriage when, yeah, it was like a nightly occasion. So, yeah, fantasy can serve a great purpose. But what I have learned through my research is that the primary purpose of fantasy is to medicate past emotional trauma, that okay. sexual fantasy is the brain's way of trying to heal itself from past trauma. And I think the faster that we can learn that about ourselves, the more insight we'll have to our own sexual fantasies. And is that, is that specific sexual fantasy or is it fantasy in general? Did you, did you kind of cover that? I think that, I mean, it could certainly be both, but primarily sexual fantasy. For example, Corey, and you may have done this with your, with your clients. If you were to ask them to draw a map of their traumas in life, the the cracks in their egg or right. you know the their most 
um, painful experiences throughout life. And then if you were to ask them to draw a map of their sexual fantasies, of the dynamics, the roles, what's happening in those fantasies, they would be like a mirror image of one another. Sure. You, you would be able to tell that their sexual fantasies are really trying to recreate scenarios where they win this time or that it tries to medicate a certain pain okay. where where they come out on top as the victor, mm -hmm. uh, quote unquote. Um, uh, and you know, for those who are listening who um, are Christian women and are feeling very bewildered by their fantasies because they don't line up with their spiritual values, we have to remember that uh, that oftentimes we are raised in conservative Christian homes where we are told good girls don't, good girls don't. So in order for a woman to really let go and enjoy her sexuality, the story she has to tell herself is that this is not my choice right. because I'm a good girl. Right. So they have to create a scenario where they're whisked off their feet or raped or coerced somehow. Uh, that's why they call romance novels corset busters, you know, because it wasn't my <laughs> idea. It was just something that he forced right. upon that's, me. And, I, and I, I'm not a bad girl. I'm just a victim. Right. I'm powerless here. Yeah. But if it floats a woman's boat and gets her juices flowing for her husband to be, to be able to envision that scenario, then isn't that a blessing rather than a burden? And, and um, that's and, kind and of how, sorry to interrupt you real quick, but that's no. in that how the whole fantasy fallacy book came on board, that it was in response to Fifty Shades of Grey and that whole phenomenon that just rocketed through the stratosphere. Exactly. I had been wanting to write a book on sexual fantasy for about three years. And what motivated the idea is um, I have a, a group of counselors that I meet with every month. We call ourselves shrink wrap because it's four shrinks who sit around and wrap for half a day, <laughs> once a month. Very and <laughs> and the topic of sexual fantasy came up in our group. And the oldest member, uh, he's 80, retired minister, retired counselor, just a wealth of wisdom. He was one who introduced me to the concept that sexual fantasy is really just the brain's way of trying to heal itself. So I thought, you know, one day I want to write a book on that because I, I knew that yeah. for me personally, that had been an area of struggle. And for me to understand that notion helped me really be at more peace yeah. with my own sexuality. And then helping my husband understand where I came from with certain fantasies helped him realize that this is not about him or even about us. This is just about things from my childhood that I have to tell myself a new story to, to write that wrong or whatever. And so in April of last year of 2012, yeah, I started seeing 50 shades of gray stuff everywhere. I mean, they were talking about it on SNL. They were talking mm -hmm. about it on the view. I couldn't even turn on my local news without mm -hmm. a story on 50 shades of gray. And I thought, okay, the time for a book on sexual fantasy isn't someday. The right. time is now. Got to get it out there now. Yeah, so I asked Thomas Nelson, the book that I'm working on now, can we put that on the back burner and, and let me write this one instead? And they said, only if you can write it in 60 days. And so I pulled a team of people around me from my BLAST mentorship program and said, you know, can we do this? And they were totally on board. We got it written in 40 days. And what, what that told me is that when you're pregnant with an idea for that yeah. long, it doesn't take much pushing well, to get it. Yeah, because it's not like you wrote it in 40 days. You wrote it in three years if you'd already exactly. been. I mean, it had been percolating it, and working and, you know, it just it, finally got down on paper in 40 days. Exactly. And so many of my coaching clients had also brought these issues to the right. table. And so just being able to weave in their stories uh, and really bringing the concept to life. It was a fun book to write. <laughs> I would imagine it would have been just that would have had a tremendous amount of energy to it. Just just watching it all come together. Yeah, 
Yeah, and seeing the impact that it's making. As a matter of fact, um, there was a guy on our book launch team that um, I actually went to high school with, and he contacted me after the book came out, and he said, Shannon, can I tell you the impact that this book has had on my life and on my marriage? And I said, sure, and, and he explained that he's been married 25 years, and um, the, the sex had been an issue since year one when his wife had walked in and caught him looking at pornography. And she obviously took it very personally, felt mm -hmm. like this is all about her. She wasn't sexy enough. Right. He didn't desire Which her, et cetera. Common. Yeah, very common. Um, and they hadn't had sex at all in the past, I think, three years or five years or something like that. And he said, I've been asking myself what happened in my childhood that I feel so much more comfortable with pornography um, than with a real human being. Mm -hmm. Why do I have a beautiful, sexy wife that I don't feel safe enough with that I would rather look at women I don't even know on a screen? And he realized that when he was in high school, he was approached by four different men who were all in authority over him, okay. either a pastor, youth pastor, professor, right. and pursued sexually by these men. Okay. And so he said, something in me said, run. And right. he did. Every time he did the right thing, he ran away, but he never told anyone, and he never got help. And he worried, if men are coming on to me, does that mean that I'm gay and I just don't know it? So he just had a lot of confusion and bewilderment about his own sexual identity. And so he said, for the first time in 25 years, I recognize the need to go into counseling and get to the root issue okay. of, of all that pain that I've been carrying around all these years. And he said, I'm actually hopeful that maybe I can learn to connect intimately with my wife instead of looking at porn. And that's one of the goals, I think, of just growing up is, is learning how to connect intimately with another human being. That it's, it is so, I mean, that's the one thing that is so interesting that in doing sexy marriage radio and then just in the practice I have, and even with simple marriage, some that we have this idea going into a, a committed, intimate relationship, that intimacy is going to be great, that we all long for, it, we all desire it. But we also reach a point where intimacy is uncomfortable and Very. we try to, we try to get away. I mean, that happens in my relationship too, that, that it's like, Ooh, okay, that's enough intimacy. Get away from me. You know, I, I need, yeah. I need my own space. And, and the goal is we want it and learning how to create more of it is a lifelong thing. It's, it's like a journey. It, it totally is. And I think that sex in your 20s, 30s, 40s, every decade is different. It's yeah. almost like there's an entirely different agenda around your sexuality with each decade of your life. And I also think that in marriage, I mean, there is nowhere to run and nowhere to hide from yourself. <laughs> you, and, you, and yep. you're, your spouse is like a spiritual mirror reflecting back to you every ounce of spinach in your teeth and every selfish desire and and learning how to serve another person's sexual needs is a huge challenge. Yes, it is. Yeah. Because it, it, it requires more of you that that that's that, that has to be more of you present to be able to really connect, in which if you think about it, we spend a lot of our time hiding in life mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and not really being known. And marriage i love that there, you can't run in marriage <laughs> well you can but that means you leave the marriage or right. it's, it's roommate status or it's you know just kind of very very surface interactions there's not a depth to it right and i think that that's so sad because a lot of people long for that depth mm -hmm. they long for that reckless abandon passionate connection where it doesn't just touch their body i mean it touches them deep in their soul well, if their spouse isn't on board with experimenting and exploring in those scary directions, 
what is that person supposed to do? Yeah. They, they're not allowed to explore on that level with any other person on the planet. So it's really important for us to be open and willing to go in the direction that our spouse may feel the need to go. And it, and it may not be a, a direction that we particularly need to go. Um, you know, kind of like with the topic of fantasy, my husband doesn't feel the need to go in that direction with his own thoughts, but mm -hmm. yet I do. To me, it's it's the most intimate thing in the world to tell my husband what's really going on in between my two ears when we're <laughs> in the act of making love. Okay. And he's and he's just learned that this is Shannon's way of opening up and bearing her soul. And so even though it's not something he feels the need to do, he's very accepting and appreciative of the fact that I thoroughly enjoy that depth of intimacy. Right. Right. And, and so he's, he's, not, with that. he's not threatened by that. He, cause like, I could think, exactly. I could see lots of spouses that it would be like, Ooh, no, I don't want to, Oh, I'm not comfortable there. Right. Or they assume that that's what the person really wants to do, really okay. wants to engage in and nothing could be further from the truth. Well, Your fantasies are usually about things that you would never in a million years true. do. That's true. And that's where I think clarification of being able to say and have those conversations of, Hey, this is me just sharing more of me that yeah. it might be uncomfortable, but tell me, you know, it's, it's like that safe word idea of tell me if it gets too far because then I can temper it and we can keep talking. And right. I mean, I was just at a conference this weekend that one of the, one of the times we were, one of the sessions we were talking and the guy that Dr. Schnarch was the one that was leading this thing. And he said, okay, I want keep in mind, everybody get in your mind, a picture or a memory of the best sexual experience you've had in your relationship. And I'm not moving forward until there's a smile on everybody's face. <laughs> and so everybody, you know, kind of smiled. I said, okay, let me ask you this. During that time, were you calm and, and comfortable or were you a little bit anxious and it was kind of unknown? And every one of us, it was kind of anxious and a little unknown. And that's what added to it. And it I think that's, and I think that's what, if you, if you dovetail that straight into fantasy life, that's where people get scared of. I don't want to think about that because what does that mean to me? What is that? What does that say about me? If I have this fantasy and this fantasy and this fantasy, well then I'm a pervert or I'm a whatever, as opposed to, no, no, no. You're what you're saying is you're human. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that there shouldn't be any threat or repulsion or it, it, you know, like I said, even if it's something that doesn't necessarily float your boat, if it floats your spouse's boat and they are vulnerable enough to verbalize that to you, they have just offered you a ringside seat to a wrestling match that no one else is invited to that they share intimate thoughts with you that they don't share, hopefully, with anybody else on the planet. Right. Isn't this the definition of intimacy, that whole into me see? Like, I'm letting you see a part of me that no one else except me gets to see. Yeah, that's the elegance and the secretness of marriage. And, exactly. And that's fuel for the best marriages. Absolutely. I mean, don't you walk out of that bedroom feeling a thousand times more connected to a spouse who trusted you with that yeah. as opposed to someone who feels that they have to hide that, that they can't share that part of themselves and that they don't want to know that about you either. That that doesn't create closeness that creates division. Right. And that's and that's an interesting reframe of it. I mean, I think of Esther Pearl's work with mating in captivity that she has that same. She kind of, that's where I was introduced to the idea of what if somebody's sharing some of their depths isn't a way to control. It's actually, they trust you enough to share that part of themselves with them. And it, 
And I had never thought of that because I'd always heard clients that I can't believe he wants to do that. or I can't believe he did that or said she said this as opposed to wait, she's saying or he's saying, let's take this relationship to a deeper part of here. I'm going to be more present in it. And here's part more of me. Right. I'm uh, reminded of Brene Brown. She's done a lot of research on vulnerability. Okay. Um, and you know the whole notion that she teaches on is that true friendship is really based on how much vulnerability each person in that friendship is willing to engage in. Well, wouldn't it be all the more true in marriage that the more vulnerable we are with each other, the more open we are about every nuance of our life, the more connected we're going to feel. I also think of Gary Thomas, who wrote a book called mm -hmm. Sacred Marriage, and he I think he's also written one called Sacred Sex. Um, he talks about how it's every spouse's responsibility to go as close to the edge as your spouse wants to go, even if you feel as if it might border on lust, that you are the one that's been ordained to go to this in this direction with this person, and they're not allowed to go in that direction with anybody else on the planet. Right. So yeah, it's it it's thrilling and it's challenging and it's scary, but I the edginess of it is part of what makes us feel alive. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 uncomfortable, but learning how to be okay in that uncomfort. Is... Well, and and to have appropriate boundaries in place, I think is what will give us the safety to feel like we okay. can go there. For That's example, good. like when we went to the Grand Canyon. There were sections of the canyon that have a guardrail, and there are other sections that do not. And, I mean, the, the ones that had a rail, I would actually be okay with sitting down on my behind and dangling my feet over the edge because there's a guardrail, you know, like at my rib cage and at right. my shoulders, and right. I'm not going anywhere. I right. can go right up to the edge. But those sections that don't have any guardrail at all, I'm not going within five feet of there. So I think that boundaries give us that freedom right. to go to the edge with each other and really enjoy that in safety. Yeah, and they do it within ourselves of of feeling comfortable enough in myself to share stuff. Because that's the one thing I can think of is, well, I want to share that stuff with my spouse, but I can't trust them with that because they'll use that against me or that'll, you know, it, it'll... Or the the bigger fear is that he'll tell his friends. Oh, very good. Or she'll blog about it or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, part of the boundary that I'm talking about yeah. has to be um, complete confidentiality. Right, that and, that's, and that's a relationship shares, boundary. That, yeah, if your spouse shares something that personal and that intimate with you, nobody else on the planet needs to know that. Right. And if you have concerns about it that you need to discuss, you need to go to a counselor together. It's not something that you discuss with your girlfriend or your mother or your 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 guy friend that you drink beer with or whatever. Yeah, you just have to be really careful with each other's sexual secrets. Yeah, and that's because that's part of this. That's the elegance of marriage that you create a relationship that no one else on the planet but the two of you know. Mm -hmm. And and there's such that's such beauty in that and sacredness in that that it's just kind of that whole I'm gonna I'm gonna create something with someone else. That, yeah, it could be used against me. You know, my wife knows enough about me that she could really cause some damage. You know, she could really hurt me if she yeah. wanted. Well, I, I could do the same. But I guess, I guess if you want to go that side. But the reality is, but she also, we, we can look at each other and just know things that no one else knows. And exactly, there's beauty in that. Absolutely. I'm also reminded of a concept that I wrote about in the Fantasy Fallacy about the beach ball. 
um, that a lot of us feel as if we need to repress our fantasies, um, just not even go there in our own minds, and this would let be, alone okay, share this, that. Yeah, this would be whenever I'm just sitting around or I'm in a, in a intimate situation and I, my mind gets into the fantasy. You're saying I, I just need to just go away, to get away with it, put it, put it aside, bury it. Is that what you're kind of talking about? Well, I mean, a lot of people think that that's what they need to do. Okay. I personally don't necessarily right. agree with that. I mean, I think, I think that there's a time and a place to explore that further uh, in the safety of, of your relationship with your spouse or just in contemplation or meditation or whatever. But what I'm talking about is, um, you know, there are a lot of people on the planet who would say, um, you know, well, I don't fantasize about anything. But the reality <laughs> is, is that they do. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't allow them those thoughts to really come to the forefront of their mind because they're scared to death of them. Right. Well, it, it's kind of like a, if you had a beach ball that's resting on the surface of the water and you decide that you're going to force it down to the bottom of a pool. Well, what's going to happen as soon as your weight from your hand shifts just a little bit, right. that beach ball is going to go rocketing up, not just to the surface of the water where it belongs, but way up into the air where it doesn't belong. And then it's going to come crashing down with ripple effects. Mm -hmm. And that's what we see happen so often is that people repress all sexual fantasy. And then they find themselves acting out in ways that they never in a million years thought that they would do. That's very destructive to their marriage relationship. Right. And so if we can just learn to let our fantasies rest on the surface of the water and not be scared of them, not be intimidated by them, but know that we control them. They do not control us. And like, um, I do these four day women at the well workshops several times a year. Yeah. And there was one woman who, uh, when she shared her particular sexual fantasy, um, it was very similar to another woman's in the group. Um, but the other woman had always felt the freedom to share that fantasy with her husband and in almost 30 years of marriage, she had never acted out on it. Right. And it was the type of fantasy that if you did act out on it, it would be very destructive. Right. Well, this other woman had never told her husband about it, but she had been acting out on it in two different relationships over a six year period of time. And she made the connection. She said, I find it very interesting that you've always felt the freedom to share that with your husband, right. but you've never felt tempted to act out on it. I always hit it. And I haven't been able to not act out on it. I think that there's great truth in that. There is, because there's a difference between fantasy and reality. Right. <laughs> I mean, well, and, and maybe the purpose of fantasy is to allow us to experience things that we wouldn't actually want to experience in real life. Mm -hmm. But going back to the example of, of how, you know, many times women who were raised in conservative Christian homes, they don't want to be raped, right. but yet oftentimes that is the fantasy. And that's why the Fifty Shades of Grey phenomenon was such a huge uh, had such a huge impact on our culture is because it resonated with a lot of women of, ooh, a, a man who kind of forced this on me and right. kept me secret about it. And right. it, it, it was alluring to them. Right. Yeah. And I, and I could see that. I mean, I, I, I remember hearing about it in the circles I have and some of the clinicians that would talk about it or even wrote little companion books to go with it because it's helping increase whatever, you know, and it's just like, I don't know. There's something... You know, that's kind of skewing fantasy in a in a negative using it poorly as opposed to what you're kind of saying is using fantasy as a as a there's there's a purpose to it there's, there's right. more to it right well when it comes to i mean the particular fantasy that we're obviously alluding to with that novel is uh, or that trilogy is snm right and I do think that the author did a great job in uh, bringing the Christian Grey character to life of the reason that he felt the need to engage in S&M behaviors with 
15 different women that all looked exactly like his mother was because <laughs> his mother didn't protect him from being abused as a young child. Right. So he's recreating a scenario right. in order to win this time, obviously to the extreme. Right. But she did not do a very good job explaining why this 21-year-old virgin girl would submit to such behavior and enjoy it. Right. Because there's no psychological reason for her to be fulfilled by that. And I'm not saying that there aren't some couples on the planet that, you know what, they both fit that pattern, that he enjoys acting in that way, she enjoys acting that in that way. And if it's in the privacy of their own bedroom and they're not involving anybody else right. and nobody's being hurt, then, you know, again, that's the beauty of their own private personal relationship. But the majority of couples... Um, don't fit that pattern where they both would get something out of that dynamic. Right. And my concern was when the sales of whips and chains skyrocketed. <laughs> and I thought, oh no, do women really think that that pain is what is going to bring them pleasure? Because unless you have a particular exposure to some really traumatic stuff as a child where this story recreates that and you feel like you win this time, then all it's going to do is bring pain. Right. And, and I'm sorry, but our brains do not crave pain they crave pleasure yeah and that's and lots of times when it gets really deep and dark those two can get mixed and, that, mm -hmm. and so what you're talking about is if that's something that's surfacing and that's something you've kind of come to grips with seek appropriate sources to help you know seek because that's, that's the one thing i think of okay so we we have the idea of our fantasies they serve a role but what's my next step right and, and let me give you a couple of, exa of examples about next steps. Um, for example, there was one woman that I met who she was recreating scenarios in order to win this time. And, and what had happened is that um, when she moved out on her own and got her first apartment, a guy came knocking, posing as a pest control guy. Right. And she let him in and he wrapped the cord to his machine around her neck, forced her to the ground, slit her throat, raped her or raped her first, then slit her throat, left her for dead. Right. Well, she spent several months in the hospital, and once she was released, her friend said, come on, we got to get you out of this apartment. Let's go party. And so they would go to bars, and she would find herself picking up men, taking them back to their apartment, and she would basically rape them. Right. And, you know, sure, a lot of them didn't mind, but some of them, I mean, she was using and abusing them. Right. And when she realized that all of these men look exactly like my perpetrator, that I'm trying to recreate a scenario in order to... Um, to come out on top, for lack of a better word, I mean, that, that she wasn't being a victim, that she was being a controller. Well, that's all well and good for her mental need, although, I mean, obviously I don't agree with it or endorse it. Um, it, was, it was abusive and manipulative of other human beings. Right. Yeah, that's, and that's what crosses the line. Right. And that, yeah, that's where it's, you know, fantasy serve a purpose, but when it becomes reality, that's where damage is caused. If it's if, right. If it's when you use and abuse out, other people right. to bring your fantasy to life, then there is a problem. And she obviously needed to go get a lot more counseling. Um, another scenario, I had a, a client, um, Cindy, uh, early 30s, happily married, baby daughter. She was so bewildered by her same sex fantasies. And she just couldn't imagine why she would fantasize about being with another woman when she didn't feel as if she was lesbian. Right. And right. so we did a history um, of her life. And what I learned is that when she was 14, she had an 11-year-old sister who went to spend the night with friends. And that night, lightning struck the roof of the house and it burned to the ground and everyone inside was killed, including her sister. Right. And as a result of her sister's death, 
her mother emotionally shut down. Right. And so at a very pivotal age in her sexual development at 14, she loses the two women close, closest to her, one through physical death and one through, through emotional mm -hmm. death. And so lesbian fantasies were merely her brain's way of trying to recreate some resemblance of female-to-female -female intimacy that she had been robbed of. Right. But for her to realize that I don't have to worry, am I really lesbian? Did I marry the wrong sex? And do I need to just <laughs> leave my marriage and go find a woman to spend the rest of my life? That set her free. Right. That for her to understand the root of it set her free not to, she didn't have to worry about being controlled by it anymore. She knew that she could control it and that it served a purpose in her mind. So she got comfortable with it and her husband got comfortable with it and it was fine. Now, isn't it amazing that when we will be open to possibilities with the things that scare us, we find solutions. Facing Oftentimes, our fears. Yeah, it's, it's that idea of if, if I will if I will look at what's been going on in my mind or in my in my past, in my present and all that, and not just kind of with blinders and try to box it to make sense. But if I will well what else could be? What could be you know, kind of look at options and possibilities. This whole conversation opens the door to well, it could be healing a lot of things. Exactly. If, if you're Sexuality is very this. healing if we're not afraid of it. That's a great, great ending right there. Well, Shannon, thank you very much for joining us. You bet, Corey. This has been Sexy Marriage Radio. Where wherever you are, and if you've taken time out of your day to listen to us, I want to say thanks. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you've got anything you want to give us, questions, comments, feedback, jump to sexymarriageradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, I hope you have a lot more fantastic sex. Bye-bye. Let's talk about...